This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Moore's Law coming back in 3D. And Cray revenue goes up in smoke. This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman, the editor of Top500.org. And, Michael, this week in HPC, let's start with a story. There's an executive summary report. It is an unevenly written, not well edited, inconsistently formatted Executive 70-page executive summary report from the International Technology Roadmap for Semiconductors 2.0, or ITRS 2.0, which seems to be a collection of industry associations of semiconductor providers and fabs around the world in all different regions. And, Michael, you kind of combed through this long, uneven report, but found some reason to believe that we might see a a resurgence of Moore's Law in a new form factor. Yeah, exactly. What the the report sort of outlines here amidst a lot of other detail and and technology descriptions and all sorts of stuff is sort of a path forward beyond 2020 or beyond the, the decade between 2020 and 2030, where another set of technologies will emerge that will basically keep the at least some of the Moore's Law magic alive. Not not the typical magic where we think of it, we're going to keep shrinking transistors. That the authors agree, and, and most people agree now, that's going to come to an end just because of the physics of, of silicon. Um, but what they're, what they're talking about here are a couple different technologies. And the the major part of the the major technology they're talking about is something called 3D transistors, and they include that under a, a different moniker of 3D power scaling. We'll get into what that means in a bit. But what they're basically talking about is instead of building 2D planar structures devices that we we've come to think of as as chips or dies, we'll now go into three dimensions. Yeah, and they do that in a couple of steps, starting with what they call a a 2.5D, where basically you're taking a couple of 2D chips and then starting to stack them up one on top of another, uh, mostly using a a through-silicon via or a TSV, but then beyond that, really getting to build an actual 3D chip where the 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 silicon is 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 built that way and michael this is actually something we've even talked about before and this is kind of implemented already in in some 3d memory and and nand but if we can right. bring microprocessors here if you interpret moore's law as being uh advancements per area then if you if you stack more up on top of the area this is a way to cheat moore's law and keep it going into the future yeah, exactly. It's basically the building of 3D chips. And and as you mentioned, this 2.5 interposer thing, that's not part of the technology they're thinking of going forward. That's what we've done to date in a lot of cases with uh, basically building uh, 3D devices from a series of two-dimensional devices using these through silicon vias. So that's different than what they're talking about for the future, where they're actually going to build three-dimensional chips where they actually stack the transistors on top of each other. There's no TSVs involved. There's there's none of this fancy stuff where you have to glue chips together. They're actually building the chips into three dimensions in a very 
dense way. So it's it's not like the 3D chips we think of like the hybrid memory cube. And like you mentioned, they're starting to do this in the flash area. So the the NAND manufacturers, all of them, Toshiba, Samsung, Intel, Micron, they're all starting to build these 3D chips using flash technology, which is a fairly simple type of transistor. And they've gotten up to about 32, I think maybe 48 layers of that. And they've just come out with these over the past year or so. And they're starting to sell these. But in the future, they think there's a uh, a pathway to build much, much larger chips, even up to like a, for, for NAND, they're, they're already on the on the drawing board, like a hundred stack transistors. So it's something that you could build like a, a terabit NAND device, basically with just a stack of chips. The idea behind this report is they're going to generalize this to all integrated circuits, all sorts of circuits. You're going to build processors like this. You're going to build all sorts of other memories like this, FPGAs, everything is going to go 3D. Um, and that will change the way like you said, the area is increased every year. So they're actually thinking this might actually accelerate what we think of as Moore's law and that it doubles every couple of years. They might think they're thinking actually it'll it'll increase because the technology here is a little simpler than what it's been over the past 10 or 20 years for Moore's law and that shrinking the lithography and doing that has been very tricky. They're thinking this might actually accelerate their ability to, to make these uh, devices much more more dense over in, in the same time period. Yeah, it's an area that they're calling in some places throughout the report more than more, get it, uh, more than Moore's <laughs> Law uh, uh, going forward. And this is, is clearly a, a report that's written by committee. There are a couple of places where you find inconsistencies. They'll talk about three phases in development, but in, in one part of the report, the three phases refer to something different than what the three phases are somewhere else. But you know they've they've got uh, an everything plus the kitchen sink approach to what all of the the trends are in the industry. They talk about mobile. The, you know, they talk about Internet of Things, Internet of Everything. But one thread that really seems to connect things together is this idea of heterogeneity, and that leads them toward a, a, you know a lot of the challenges in in building these three D components. Looking forward, there is a section in the. Uh, executive summary on difficult challenges for heterogeneous integration. This doesn't just come for free and cites things like managing the power and thermal dissipation requirements uh, in these 3D packages, increasing the physical density of bandwidth, supporting the growing functional diversity requirements of these heterogeneous components, reliability, power integrity, driving down assembly costs, uh, supporting reliability, supporting the global network changes required to handle uh, the, uh, the you know yottabyte levels of data traffic. So there's there's a lot in here. It's it's not like they're they're just saying this is we're going to wave a magic wand and we're going to go here. But overall, looking at you know the number of different organizations that are clearly involved in this report and what seems to eventually be agreement in this idea that a new phase in chip development is coming that's going to integrate these heterogeneous components into a 3D form factor. Overall, I, I tend to be sold. I think this is a, an idea that has legs going forward. What do you think? Yeah, I think the 3D idea is is sort of a can't-miss idea. Now, the second part of this, which which I alluded to and you sort of alluded to and that there's some challenges there, is the development of these technologies that are really not ready for prime time yet. So the, the second part of 3D power scaling is the power part. 
And in, for that, they envision over the next decade, they're, they're going to develop these technologies that are just sort of in the in the research phase now. And when one of the types of transistors they're looking at are, are tunnel tunnel transistors, tunnel field effect transistors, and the other one is spin transistors. And these are two types of transistors that are not commercially uh, available today, but something that uh, are able to use very low power technologies. They can use significantly lower voltages than conventional CMOS transistors. And if they combine those transistors with these 3D structures, uh, they can actually not only make the devices much denser, but they can also keep the performance uh, profile the, the same or better as these chips actually sort of shrink down. Not the transistors shrinking down, but the, the devices themselves. So this is sort of a very important piece of it. They think with those two pieces of technology, the 3D part and these low power transistors, that actually makes the path where all of these things become possible and those challenges that you were talking about become much easier to, to handle. Of course, the, you know, the heat, there's always going to be sort of this upper limit on heat as you as you put these 3D structures together. But if you can get these lower voltage transistors in there, you can you can ameliorate a lot of those problems. So that part, the second part of the um, this technology as they move forward is not quite as advanced as the 3D technology, but they think uh, at least the authors of this report feel that the technology will appear uh, starting in the next decade and be commercially available. So it is an optimistic report, but something I think that they feel there's enough behind it now they, they can make this prediction. Michael, I swear about a year ago we did some kind of podcast on 3D chips, and I was saying that that was a continuation of Moore's Law, and you were telling me, no, that's cheating, that doesn't count. Have you changed your tune here? I'm going to find that podcast. <laughs> well, you find that podcast. I think I was talking about 3D, what they were talking about, 3D devices. So, I mean, 3D, you know, gluing these 3D chips one to another, that was that was cheating in that sense because you were just gluing <laughs> one device to another and building, you know, bigger devices. But here, if they can actually build the 3D chips, um, it's actually so not... 2.5D the... doesn't count, but 3D does is where you're going. Well, 3D chips count. You know, device building, gluing chips together doesn't count. So, But even this is, you know, I think there were people who would say even this isn't Moore's Law because now you've, you're not even shrinking transistors anymore. You're just putting them on top of each other. But it'll it'll functionally do the same thing. So I'm, I'm satisfied with that definition of it. It'll, it'll make the make the devices denser and, and more performant because of that. So that that's good for us, certainly good for HPC and, and the rest of the industry. So I think everybody right. would be in favor of that and willing to call it Moore's Law can, continued here. I'm still going to go back and listen to what we said. Anyway, <laughs> our, our listeners can find the link to this executive summary in the article that Michael posted on top500.org. We'll try to tweet the, li the link out to our uh, listeners as well on Twitter at This Week in HPC. Michael, let's quickly get to... What's the other big story that everyone's talking about this week is Cray had a, a pretty disappointing earnings announcement, including their outlook for the rest of 2016. Yeah, I mean, Cray's been on a tear lately, and you figure at some point they were going to run into some bad luck, and that's basically what happened here. <laughs> I mean, three things happened during this quarter. The, they, they're suffering from what, what to them looks like a slowdown, especially in the supercomputing market over the over the past year since 2015, which was a banner year for HPC and supercomputing, that the, the market slowed. And then the second thing that happened is uh, some of the chips from Intel and NVIDIA 
flipped out a bit, the ones they were expecting, and they couldn't get it into their uh, their orders quickly enough. And now they're just starting to integrate it. They're running into some technical difficulties, as they always do, as they as they put these these new devices in there. So those uh, those procurements and the deliveries are starting to slip. And then the, the thing that happened that they they had basically no control over at all. Well, not that they had control over these other things either, but they had a what they're calling a, a smoke event in their Chippewa Falls, one of their Chippewa Falls um, manufacturing facilities, and it damaged five systems that were set to ship to customers. And so those uh, systems were all damaged. They're going to have to reorder them and rebuild them. And so all of that revenue that was going to happen this year is going to slip into probably next year, and that's on the order of 20 to 60 million. Now that didn't affect the bad quarter they just had because that smoke event just happened. What they're suffering from in this quarter looks like is sort of the the slippage in the uh, in the deliveries from the component makers and the sort of bad year they're having. They actually lost uh, they had a loss of 13 million this quarter, and they downsized their uh, their outlook for the year by another. Uh, 150 uh, million dollars for for the entire year. Yeah, there's a couple of things going on here. Now, generally, I'm not a big fan of looking at a company like Cray or or, or a cohort like SGI and judging them over much on an, on a quarterly result basis because there is so much variability that can happen when you've got you know low volume and high dollar uh, things that you're selling like supercomputers a couple of things move around and it starts radically changing your quarter and your year and you don't want to overreact to that nope. um, and that's certainly the case with what's going on with Cray. You get some bad luck and uh, some stuff happens. And then, you know, it, then suddenly it looks like the sky is falling. Overall, I think Cray is in a great position. And and I would continue to believe in this company going forward. What made me want to talk about this is some of uh, Cray's comments around the market in general. Because, first of all, they agree with our forecast about 2016 continuing to be slow in the public sector and supercomputers, academic and government, we already forecasted to our clients was continued slowness that it takes longer than expected to come out of uh, what's been uh, a, a global funk in public sector high-performance computing, and, and that's ex- expanded. Uh, not all uh, analysts have, uh, have, have forecasted that, but uh, we've had a, a lot of demand-side data come out of our budget map reports that, that that's been uh, an expanding uh, um, uh, dynamic across the industry, and the, most of the growth that we see is driven by the commercial side, with the exception of the commercial side, by the way, of the oil and gas market, which has also gotten really slow. That negatively affected 2015. It affected the forecast in 2016. And, uh, and that's going to be, at the supercomputing side, one of the bigger commercial purchasers of, of high-performance computing. So I'm actually not seeing a big difference between what Cray is saying and, and what we're forecasting to our end users. Yeah, Cray actually attributed the slowdown in in the different areas, public and, and private, to sort of different things going on. At least from their point of view, they they saw the, um, the slowdown for the government and academia side as sort of just the deals weren't coming in at the at the at the rate they we're coming in at is, for example, in 2015, that was that was a very good year for, for Cray. On the commercial side, they say they had um, some deals in the works, or and, and they're growing that segment, 
but some of those deals got downsized. In other words, those commercial areas uh, actually pulled back. So they're sort of two different dynamics from their point of view. But in in what you said, it's it's sort of of the of the same manner. It's going to be a slowdown sort of across the board uh, to an extent for this year as as uh, government, academia, and the commercial segment sort of pulls back. Uh, what was a little um, disconcerting, I think, from Cray's point of view, and then from the investors who kind of hammered the Cray stock, was they didn't know when this um, when this uh, sort of slowdown would pick up again. They're looking at 2017 now, but they're not even sure about that, and they don't have much visibility into when the market will will pull back. And since they didn't know the actual reasons for what was going on, they couldn't really forecast. Uh, when it would come out. So, the, like I said, the stock got hammered a little bit on that news, not not because of the smoke problem or even that the the, the chips were were slipped out a bit, but the long term effect that uh, you know the, the market might slow over the next year, perhaps a little bit longer. I mean, looking at the different uh, market dynamics here, we talked about the demand side, and that that is what it is. We saw the expanded slowdown here. But the other important factor in what Cray is talking about is the supply side. If there really are these disruptions in uh, chips being late, that's going to extend uh, things like acceptance criteria. It's going to extend when deliveries get made. It can also extend the, the sales cycle in terms of the evaluation or how long deals take to close. All of that supply side stuff can really have an effect in, in the short-term revenue in how much revenue gets recognized for the whole industry in 2016 versus 2017. It's not a true loss, but it can it can definitely affect the revenue in the market in a way that, that we analysts don't initially forecast. We generally assume that that suppliers will, will hit their uh, their deliveries and, and the market will continue uh, on an ongoing basis. But the last time we really saw this effect was a few years ago on the storage side where there were, if you remember, there was flooding in Southeast Asia that severely uh, delayed storage deliveries, uh, not only in HPC, but in enterprise computing. And we, we really tracked that in our models in terms of uh, how much storage got dumped out of one year and into the next year. So you had one year that was artificially low, the next was artificially high, and it takes a little bit of time for that to to work its way through and settle back into normal-looking numbers. So that's something we'll really have to keep an eye on this year. I think it's probably not to the same ex- effect that storage was uh, the, that couple of years ago, but uh, but we could be heading into where... 2016 misses its forecast overall, and then 2017 is high. 2018 kind of gets back to the normal growth curve again. So uh, that's something we'll continue to watch. Yeah, I think that, I think what actually dovetails into this uh, some of these component slippages is is actually, and maybe it's the cause of some of the slowdown in, in this year is that there seems to be some uncertainty in the market, maybe, and maybe to lengthen this procurement cycle, especially for a lot of these big systems that have these multi-year uh, cycles to, to buy them, that the fact that these chips maybe were slipping beyond their original dates. And that's the fact now, especially in the accelerator market, there's now two chips that are sort of diametrically opposed to each other and, and sort of, in, in a sense, evenly match with Intel's uh, Knight's Landing, uh, Xeon Phi, and then uh, NVIDIA's now new Pascal GPUs. They're sort of these multi-teraflop chips that have come onto the market and have been promised to the market 
for a few years now. And to the extent that uh, a lot of users maybe didn't know which way they were going to go with these chips, they they offer sort of very different um, advantages and disadvantages. And there might have just been some uh, some decision-making that got delayed that might have lengthened the procurement cycle, especially for these big systems that now has been factored in. And the fact that now the chips actually turned up a little bit late, maybe lengthened it even a little bit more, maybe that attributed to some of the slowdown that, that Cray and, and, and you're seeing as well. Well, okay, so first of all, I don't think it's a slowdown from where we've been. I think it's it's continued slowness from where we've been. This year is not remarkably slower than academic and government has been in previous years. If there is an effect where the market is is dropping, it's going to be the supply-side driven more than demand-side driven. I take your point about procurement cycles, and if, if sales cycles get longer, that can slow down revenue. But I think that's already been built into the forecast to some extent. We use a lot of demand side or end user guidance in determining our forecast, especially for the near in years, the the this year, next year, year after kind of outlook, uh, because end users tell us what kind of uh, changes they're expecting in their budgets. And if I have a budget, I generally intend to spend it on something. I don't want to lose the budget just because I'm taking too long to make my decision. A lot of times when sales cycles get longer, they get longer on the early side. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, I start evaluating sooner uh, what I'm going to uh, purchase in a, in a given year. It, uh, but I, I don't like to lose this year's budget because I'm taking longer to make up my mind. I think those effects are already, for the most part, are are built into our forecast. And uh, and what we're really seeing is that uh, we, we had to, to uh, lower expectations in terms of how long it takes for this public sector funding to come out of a funk worldwide. Yeah, and I think, I think Cray is basically on the same page there. I mean, they are looking, that not, while they're not predicting 2017 is, is going to be gangbusters because they're not sure yet, they see the long-term prospects for for the market and their chances in the market that's very good i mean their their win rate is is as it was they're just not getting as as many uh chances to win because the uh, they're not getting the the rate of deals they were but they're thinking i think they're thinking 2017 or maybe somewhere beyond that it will renormalize and the hpc market has the fundamentals that that they're confident in and they'll they'll make up the 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 revenue that they miss this year into next year or the year beyond that, but eventually they'll they'll get their money back. Yeah, and let's keep in mind that Cray, in addition to doing very well in its own right, was also one of the beneficiaries of IBM really changing its roadmap and, and moving a lot of business over to Lenovo with the x86 road uh, roadmap. Uh, you know, IBM cast off a lot of share there, and, and 2015 was a was a year of a lot of share shifting around, and we've just sent to our clients some guidance on what the new shares were and how they shook out. Uh, but uh, all of these uh, other companies, HP, Dell, Cray, all gained significantly from uh, from the uh, IBM Lenovo change, and uh, and that certainly helped Cray uh, last year. Yeah, they they had a banner year. They didn't see the the slowing that you were talking about because they gained share, and, and like like a lot of these companies did at at IBM's expense. So, yeah, there's a lot of different dynamics working here that, that makes it look like, you know, maybe there was a slowdown, but maybe not from the point of view of the absolute market. There wasn't. But, yeah, I mean, the fundamentals, I think, you know, you would agree with Cray and I think every all the analysts would that 
is good for HPC. They see a, a growth rate, you know, CAGR going positive at, at several percent out to 20, 2020 or beyond. So um, this is good news for Korea in the long term, but short term, they're, they're getting hit right now, but uh, better times ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see a healthy market here. And of the different things that Cray is talking about, the overall demand in the market uh, is kind of exactly where we saw it. If there's a supply side disruption, then that'll be a, 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 a market factor that's beyond our forecast and is something that we'll track in terms of adding up the, the 2016 year. And as far as their operations problem with their their manufacturing and the smoke issue, well, that's that's just bad luck. That's going to push out some deals and just doesn't look good, but you take your lumps when you get them. All right. All right, that'll wrap us up for another week, Michael. I appreciate it. Some interesting topics this week. And uh, thanks to our, uh, our listeners for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.